This is a Morley Radio production. Welcome everyone to Artcast Season 2, Episode 6. Just a reminder, you can listen back to Season 1, which includes the previous seven episodes on the Morley Radio website, which included artist support pledge founder Matthew Burrows, Goldie and Morley Chelsea alumni Susan Collis. The first five episodes of Season 2 are also available with Andy Holden, Russell Shaw Higgs, Mira Calix, Barry Rygate and Helen Kirkham. Artcast is a podcast presented by Matt G, artist and subject leader for fine arts at the Chelsea Centre at Morley College. The decision to do this podcast was originally inspired by photographs taken from the polio outbreak in the 1940s, where students were being remotely taught by radio. This podcast is a series of informal discussions with artists, designers and musicians about their work, lifestyle and how they've adapted during the current crisis we've been living through. And the aim is to disseminate material for students by limiting screen time and providing a feed of information for when they are taking a break from the screen. Um, Because of last season beginning in the January lockdown and when in the months that followed that there's still being some form of restrictions, I was unable to invite students to the sessions because of social distancing. However, for season two, I've been inviting students along to the episodes to join the discussion. For this episode, I'm delighted to welcome Christine Edo and Shay Durant. For this episode, I'm also delighted to welcome Morley Chelsea alumni and painter Hannah Uzor. Hannah is currently studying her MA at the Slade in London after winning the Cosman Scholarship for Drawing. This year, in 2021, Hannah completed two years with us at Morley College on the H&D Fine Art and was awarded the Chelsea Curriculum Award for Higher Education at our annual Student Awards. Hannah was born in Zambia and spent a few years in the UK while her father was studying in the UK and moved to Zambia to complete her primary and secondary education. After secondary school, she joined Zambia's National Arts Council and was one of the youngest members taking part in national and international exhibitions. In 2003, she returned to the UK to complete studies in computing. In 2016, Hannah then decided to focus on her art. Obtaining an art qualification was now Hannah's priority, but at the time, costs and time constraints of studying at university meant she wanted to seek a more flexible and cost-effective option, which is where studying at the Chelsea Centre with Morley College came in, which offers H&D and H&C programmes. In 2020, a painting of Sarah Forbes Bonetta was acquired by English Heritage and displayed at Osborne House in the Isle of Wight on October for Black History Month. This was part of an exhibition called Painting Our Past, which was covered widely in the media, including The Times, The Guardian, The Economist, BBC History and British Archaeology. Hannah, welcome. How are you today? Thank you so much. I'm, I'm doing really well, thanks. It's good to be here. Excellent. Yeah, it's good to see you again. And um, so to kick off with all the episodes, we ask, what, what is your favourite colour? Hmm, that's a tricky question. <laughs> Does it have to be a colour? I love gold. I don't know, if, is gold a colour? <laughs> ah, that's interesting, yeah. I, I, like the look of, I like the look of gold, so maybe I'll, I'll, I'll lean towards the, um, the orange then in my palette, I think, orange and yellow. Yeah. If, that, if it has to be a colour. And you've obviously been gaining lots of recognition over the last couple of years and lots of acclaim, which is fantastic. But I wanted to just take it back to the start and sort of talk about when you first discovered a passion for art making and what sort of work were you making or and concepts were you exploring? I mean, it depends how far you back you want to go. I mean, my dad said by two years old, I was, you know, 
great artists in his in his eyes. I was probably scribbling the wars, but you know, I think um, by the time I was a young adult, um, getting into my teenagers and knowing that I did like art, and I think I focused a lot on themes around women, maybe feminist sort of themes, because that's what I saw around me. That's what I was exposed to. Um, and so I think I did a lot of that. I'd also did a lot of drawings, maybe recording my surroundings, whatever was around me, almost like a, a diary of some sorts, a visual diary. So those were the sort of themes sort of explored and sort of looked at in my work at, at, that, at that young age. And then in terms of when you studied with us, what was your sort of experience like, in particular with the lockdowns? Have you got any sort of advice for students on resilience? Because you must have had yeah, quite a tough couple of years, and yet you found really great success at the end of it. So I was wondering if you could talk about any coping mechanisms you had for that. I think it's always good to have a goal. You know, I knew why I wanted to get into school. You know, and that was the end game was to get this degree. And so regardless of, you know, different situations, you know, it was still, you know, to get this degree. And the good thing about being at Morley is we had the support, you know, so and you had to be flexible in the way that you work. And the tutors were really good at sort of helping you to adjust to the different circumstances, say in a practical level, moving from a bigger canvas to a smaller canvas, going digital for some of the things. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's just developing that resilience. It's also having people around you so that they can sort of encourage you and keep you going and having that focus of what you want to achieve. Yeah, that's great. And um, with this project with the English Heritage Painting Our Past, which was a series of six portraits from six artists depicting a historical figure from the African diaspora with links to the different heritage sites. And with yourself, when you painted Sarah Forbes' Spinetta, I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about the story behind the, the chosen subject. So when I started, initially started at, at Morley, um, you could say I was trying to find myself again as an artist properly um, and having to reestablish a new theme, what I want my work to be about. And I think I started by looking at what I had become in England. I was now this character that has a labor on me as a black person. And I was starting to situate myself as a black individual in the art space. And, but then I had to look in the wider society and find, you know, other people who I could sort of like lean to a reference point. And so obviously that led me to digging deep into history. And I found, um, the story of Sarah Forbes Bonetta, um, who was a black Victorian and who had lived this really aristocratic life, which was so different from maybe the blackness that I was exposed to just by general, you know, living in the UK or what you see in TV and media. Here was this character that seemed to trump every sort of stereotype. And so I really, you know, really liked her story and decided I wanted to depict her. And um, she was a girl that was from a royal family in Africa. And then she got enslaved when she was about five years old um, during intertribal raids. And so then she is, she finds herself with this king, King Gezel, and he's he's captured her and her plan, King Gezel's plan is actually to sacrifice her in this sort of ritual that they used to do in his town. And, um, but in the, in the midst of this uh, sort of horrible situation, uh, here comes uh, Captain Forbes from England, who's been sent by the queen to sort of negotiate, you know, the ending of the slave trade in that region. And even if, even if Captain Forbes is not successful in that instance, um, Sarah is sort of, she wasn't called Sarah then, her name was uh, Omobaina, is then taken by or gifted to the queen by King Gezo. And then she moves over to England and 
you know, lives sort of an aristocratic life. She's educated by the queen. You know, she moves from England to Africa and, you know, does some education in Africa, comes back to England and she gets married to this rich Nigerian philanthropist. And unfortunately, because of her ill health, she did later on die about the age of 37. But the, the story of her life is so interesting because... You also find Queen Victoria really invested in this family. I mean, Sarah's own daughter is named Victoria and the Queen becomes her godmother and pays also for her education. So there's this interesting relationship that's going on. Yes, uh, in this sort of story. I, I don't know if I've missed the point about English heritage. <laughs> in, in terms of the painting, was there any sort of, because I know fabric and clothing plays an important part in your work. Was there any particular artistic license that you used for the painting or is it like purely from photo? Um, definitely, I did use some artistic license. I mean, it did have the photographic a reference that I used. And I also had some other photographic, refer- I mean, painting references. For example, Queen Victoria's own painting of her in this glorious um I think it must have been one of her wedding gowns. But anyway, the the dressing of the time had always had these laborious dresses and laborious gowns. And that was something that I wanted to depict as well. Um, But then there was the interesting thing about the use of the fabric is also speaks to the layers of Sarah's life. You know, she came from, you know, from royalty and then she was enslaved then became an aristocrat, then, you know, came back into like English royal circles. So there's this interesting layering of a life that I tried to use with this, um, with this fabric that I use as well. And did anyone sort of see the work when it was in that context and think it was maybe like an old painting or did they realise that it was contemporary painting? I, I, I wouldn't know actually, but I think in most instances, most people don't realise this fabric on top of it. And that's a real shock when they actually see that because normally when it's been circulated actually even when English Heritage saw the uh, the painting first online they hadn't realized that there was fabric on top of it and so when they actually eventually did see it and saw the fabric that was an an added uh, wow factor if I can say that yeah that sort of relief element to it and obviously it's a very complex story the story of Sarah's uh, story did you think there was any negatives as well as positives to the story that you wanted to portray because it's obviously a very nuanced story, I guess. Yeah, I think the story speaks for itself, you know, I think. And when you approach a painting like that, an individual is confronted with their own stereotypical views or own prejudiced views of Black people at that time. So I think the story sort of speaks for itself in, in how it's presented. It's just by the visual aesthetic of a Black woman in a Victorian dress looking, you know, very... Uh, you know, in a very regal, standing in a very regal manner that raises a lot of questions uh, for certain people who may have may not be aware of this particular kind of history. And how did you find appearing on TV? Obviously, it was great in terms of ra- raising awareness uh, about <laughs> the history and um, talking about how this has, you know, been embedded in our culture. And uh, But yeah, how was, your, how was your experience in that limelight? Yeah, it was a very interesting experience, um, especially some of the... I had quite a few interviews, television interviews, um, some were quite you know interesting in seeing behind the scenes of what happens with film and uh, television production. So that was quite quite good. I thoroughly enjoyed it. But then I also realized the power of the media to spin a story whichever way they want. <laughs> uh, <so> really? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. First of all, I just wanted to say I love your work. It's really like inspirational oh. to me as a black woman. But I wanted to ask, did you ever think or did it ever like pop into your head when you were painting that people won't really get your concept and get your theme and 
like how did you if you, if it did how did you feel about that because it is quite a deep theme and it is like it's very historical when people see a painting or um any piece of art some some people don't tend to really think about oh where did this come from and um what did this mean to the artist so was that ever a thought to you i think i was quite clear on what i wanted the art piece to do in 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 a, in in, a, in, in the grand scheme of things uh, because she's not the only person I depicted from from history, I had a series. I did this research, and she was one. And she is one of several other people that I depicted. So, in a sense, I was um, sort of mining this historical information to present it to people in this format. So, I find out the lives of these people, and I paint a, a picture of them. So, I think that was the main focus for me. But obviously, when I when it eventually did get painted, and people then had responded to the work, it was surprising that there was some negativity in some respects, but because the, the work is sort of has um, factual information, you know, it's not something that I've made up, it sort of holds its own. My question is not to do with the exact piece itself, but with the recent years of BLM, did that inspire you more for like different people's stories or could it have been a bit too overwhelming with like everything that's going on did it like affect your work at all well you know the interesting thing about sort of the practice that my practice so when I just started at uh, Morley I did a series of of 12 uh, sort of collage portraits of people that had been of black people that had been killed in various sort of racialized incidences and so that was sort of like the starting point of some of my research and so I sort of had done that and sort of been through the emotional kind of my own sort of Black Lives Matter experience by sort of mining the stories. And then I moved away from that. I started dealing with these more historical figures. And in the midst of this research and this painting, then Black Lives Matter kicks off. So in a way, I sort of felt, I think it was looking at the lives of these Black individuals who had faced terrible racialized deaths. I had sort of processed that for myself and lived it in, in, in looking through the archive and it's a very emotional experience for me. In a way, I hadn't closed the book, but I decided to look at a different narrative of Blackness. But then I was suddenly confronted with this new social awareness and social engagement, engagement with Blackness, which in a way, um, it was overwhelming in that, in that regard because emotionally I had just sort of not closed the door, but I had sort of processed something around blackness and racism and I sort of put that to the side and said to focus on a different narrative because I think there is more to black people than racism. There's more to black people than BLM. And I think I don't, I was a, right now I'm at a point in my practice where you could say I am, I'm trying to focus on a different kind of narrative but socially, there's a different conversation that's going on. Um, and that's the Long Live the Queen series that you made reference to, isn't it? The, the 12, 12 paintings of people that have um, died, been murdered yes, since the yes. Queen's coronation. What was your like inspiration for the name? Because I, get, I read on your website that you did say that it was um, after the coronation of the Queen. But why that name in particular for that whole um, collection? of paintings and drawings? I think in, in a way it's to, I was trying to sort of look at the irony of the whole situation. Obviously these are sort of young lives, they died before their time. And I think I was speaking to just of empire and how this empire, the, the British empire has gone on 
been strong and obviously we're at the end we're after we're after empire so to speak but during the midst of this sort of british empire so many people have died against that backdrop and i think in a way i was trying to figure out or trying to explore what is the relationship between the empire and the british racism right now and the empire as you know i'm using the queen as in in a sense as sort of like a reference to the, the entire empire the entire british empire and you know trying to critique maybe if it uh, you know the system and in in various guises so when it was empire and when it's now we're post empire so i think that's what i was trying to explore and critique um i mean in terms of the queen's motif in particular i think um the reference there was because I mean I chose 1954 coronation of the queen and the particular stamp because um Zambia was northern Rhodesia and it was um a part of the you know the British empire and so I used the stamp that was used when the queen was coronated that was a northern Rhodesian stamp so that's the motif that I was using so I'm trying to link a personal narrative in that as well so there's all this uh, you've got this individuals 12 individuals who who died on british soil but at the same time I'm using a personal reference in this I'm using Zambia and the relationship Zambia as a former colony had with the british empire as well and then in terms of your, like social issues paintings are you focusing more on a biographical sort of sense because you got a portrait of your mum there as well as um a nurse I think there's quite a number of issues that I address in that sort of like social issues with my mother my mother was a nurse and it that painting I painted it during the middle of lockdown and uh, during the middle of this of this uh, covid crisis as well and I think at the time covid started there was a lot of talk of you know black and ethnic minority nurses you know and and how you know they were working in the health sector and so I immediately thought of my mother you know and how she you know worked as a nurse and her role as a woman but there's also a bigger story behind her story which is something that happened in the 80s there was a blood scandal in in the united kingdom at the time and my mother was one of the people that was affected by the blood scandal because her, she had contaminated bloods and my brother during the birth of my brother here in england so there's a much bigger bigger story there that sort of links to a time in england as well and the whole national health service the other stories are more a body of work around black black icons so it was something like Diana Ross I think I've got a, I've got another image that I recently produced of Miriam Akeba so that speaks to various times and various sort of social issues that are going on around the figures in question and with your historical portraiture do you sort of focus on a lot of motives within like Victorian portraiture and like the certain gaze or sort of, sort of, sort of subverting that sort of style yes I do I am exploring the gaze I'm exploring what they're wearing in some most of the figures that I do find if there is a a photographic reference um i try and critique that reference and then reinterpret it so in one of the paintings that i have done is of a portrait of a south african woman called elena zaniwe and in in the in the photograph that you have she's very stylized she's got a turban on her head she's got this sort of blanket which was actually not the way she dressed on a regular basis there's actually another photograph with her in like normal street clothes of the Victorian time and so in that painting that I did of her I subvert what she's wearing I, I switch I switch it up so I put her in Victorian clothes which is the same thing that I did for uh, the painting that I've recently completed of Dido Elizabeth Bell which in the in, a, in David Martin's painting 
this double portrait that he does of Elizabeth Bell with her with her cousin, Lady Elizabeth Murray. Elizabeth Bell is standing, but she's also very um, exoticized in what she wears. She's got a turban. She's holding a basket of fruit. And her, her cousin is sitting down. And I think uh, Dido's outfit as well is very silk and very flowy, which is not in keeping with what, what they were wearing at that time. And so in my painting, I remove the turban off her head and I give her the clothes of the century. And in terms of the, where you're at now with the Slade, I guess you've only been there for a couple of months, but are you working on anything in particular or taking on any new avenues? Um, because I do like history, I've sort of leaning towards, you know, staying in the past as we're trying to bring and those people from the past back into the present. But I think what I am doing now is creating a bigger body of work that surrounds not just a portrait of a person, but the entire um, life of this human being beyond just the historic, that their physical representation. So I'm looking at building work that includes architecture, fabric, furniture, settings, that people see, I'm still sort of staying within the 17th, 18th, 19th century kind of period, because I quite I find that sort of like at the so towards the end of you know slavery, towards the beginning of this new definition of what black people are now sort of referred to as in terms of the racializing of the black identity, you know. So I'm kind of staying there, but I'm trying to bring out different narratives around these individuals that place them in their setting rather than just seeing them as an individual. So for example, in a character like Equiano, who was a, an abolitionist, instead of just using a painting of him, you would see him probably in discussion with other black nationalists at the time, quote unquote, you know, maybe discussing, you know, an abolitionist paper, in a sense, really creating sort of these scenes so that people have in their minds that they're not isolated individuals, but they're people that were very much in part of a society. And obviously, like the year that you had re- most recently with us, it was quite isolated with the, the lockdown. So, if you got like any forged relationships with the current cohort you're working with at the Slade, have any kind of mutual interests in terms of the work? Yeah, I mean, Slade is very is very uh, dynamic. It's very international at the moment. We we are in in the building, so I do have people around me to work with, and you know, we critique each other's work. Um, obviously, my year, my last year at Morley was pretty much um, my, you know, me, myself and, and I, you know, but um, I think I still maintain the relationships that I formed with my, my the initial cohort that I joined. So I think, the, honestly, it's, it's, it's long life relationships. The time that I spent in Morley was, you know, for the first year, the friendships that I formed, they have carried on right up until today to this present day I still you know to meet up with some friends and discuss art see some of their shows some of them are still studying so um yeah it's really I, I really have um I've no regrets from being at, at Morley at all and the other artists that were at painting our past did you, did you manage to stay in touch with them or did you sort of got because you've got a lot of common threads through the work I guess yeah I mean we do have common threads and I think that relationship is 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 ongoing mm-hmm. In the sense that I think uh, the 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 project is not particularly over. There are still things that are going to come from it. So future events that involve the body of work that we created. I'm still very much in touch with English Heritage, and we're still working together to see what things we can do in the future around around what we've built up. Yes, and like you said, um, most of the artists we sort of speak the same language in terms of our artistic practice. So we're still very much in contact. 
I mean, I was here at an event last week with one of the artists. So it's very much uh, an ongoing relationship. So there's more in the works with that project and sort of more opportunities to raise awareness and talk about the issues, I guess. Yes, yes. I think it's not something that's dead and buried. It's something that lives on. So, yeah, yeah. there's more to come. Brilliant. <laughs> My one question was about some of the work that you're doing with like social issues and stuff like that and picking up on what kind of what Christine said when you produce work that you know other people have their opinions about does that ever like hold you back from producing work because you know that it might cause major arguments or you know controversy yeah yeah exactly that word yeah well I think in hindsight, because I think I produced the work and then the reactions came. So I didn't have the privilege of thinking about it beforehand. I just went out and did what I had to do. And then I sort of got the controversy. And now it's sort of like, I'm looking back and say, oh, I actually produced a controversial work. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't kind of realize that, um, that it would be quite controversial. But I think being, I think, I think I would say no. I think you have to be daring and bold and know what you you want to talk about and what you believe in. And I think that shouldn't limit your creative expression just because you know you have backlash. And I think a lot of people have had to, you know, haven't had the need to feel censored. I don't think we should censor our artwork just because there's a, po- a possibility, you know, that, you know, it may receive some backlash. And I think also because one thing I think we all have to realize is the fact that right now is a moment where things are kind of you know, there's a heightened political awareness around certain issues, but this moment is going to change and this moment will die down and there'll be another moment, you know, and a different issue will be at the forefront of, you know, political and social discourse that will have probably nothing to do with my work, you know. And so not, you know, deciding maybe to to sort of talk about certain things or speak about certain things does a disservice to, to the moment and to recognize that some of these things matter. Yeah, that being said, I think it's only now that I'm I'm aware of the impact of my work and beginning to say, oh, okay, this is sort of classed as something political when in fact it never sort of set out to be something highly political, if that makes any sense. Have you ever had any particular controversial backlashes then? I can't imagine. I can't imagine that. (laughs) Well, not necessarily. I think, but, but more specifically, I think when we did the project with English Heritage, so... So I, I produced the painting of Dido, sorry, of Sarah Forbes. You know, I completed it in March and then come October, then it came on as part of this whole, you know, Black History Month. And there was a lot of talk about, you know, it, that, then it was, so I completed the painting post or pre the death, death of George Floyd. And then so it was sort of unveiled after the death of George Floyd. And so it began to, the painting just began to read differently. It was not obviously my intention, but then I think when it became associated with English heritage, English heritage as a body then um, got backlash because, you know, and I think the entire, I think not, actually to be more specific, the English heritage got a bit of backlash when the entire project came out. So when the painting of past project came out, so after the six paintings that came on, I think initially when we, my painting was released and to the public, it, it was very positive. The media loved it. Everybody loved it. But then, then you know, I think about a year later down the line when we came to, to this year, 2021, and, you know, the other paintings were released, English Heritage did receive a lot of backlash on social media when we produced some of the uh, videos regarding the work 
I didn't get any direct sort of backlash myself personally, but as a body, you know, people were saying, oh, it's English heritage. It's English. So there was this question about Englishness and what Englishness means vis-a-vis what does it mean to be black and British? Can you be black and English? So there were all these questions about what Englishness is in relation to, you know, English heritage then having these African diasporic individuals who, you know, um, come out. And I think also there was that wokeness that a lot of organizations were being criticized of, you know, the National Trust Report had just come out on some of the, you know, the involvement with slavery. So there was a lot of political questions around organizations responding to racism and being quote unquote woke. So I think it, it was mainly to do with institutional racism, as it were, as a thing, rather than maybe the individual artist's work. And in terms of uh, education, what, what would your ideal sort of art school look like? Would you have any specific talks or lessons or anything and anything kind of set up? Well, the first thing would be the books. <laughs> to change the literature, to change the, to add to the discourse African philosophy, black, you know, from across, from across the, you know, diasporic black view. So not just an American philosophic view of blackness, but an African philosophical view on blackness and, and even a, and, and in terms of the philosophic view and a, sorry, and, a, and a European philosophic view on blackness or Africanness, because I think being an, an art school, you learn a lot of philosophy, you learn a lot of art history, and there is um, a dearth of information when it comes to, you know, just, you know, Africa, a different, a different you know, philosoph- philosophical view, different artistic references instead of, you know, black African artists. You could say artists that, you know, maybe you think need to be in the canon, but it's a Western canon. So that's up for debate, you know, but there needs to be alongside learning. You could say this Western art canon, they should be, a, you could say an African or a more broadened, you know, with this African or Asian canon that is taught alongside. Because I think even even Picasso went all the way to, um, to Africa to get inspiration for his work, you know. So the, it needs to be in conjunction. It's, it's not an either or. I think there needs to be a, a real integration of what is taught to students in terms of the books that they read and the artists that they're exposed to. And then obviously the technical things would be great, you know. I think I think in so far in my sort of academic journey in uh, artistic studies here in England, it's a very academic based approach. So there's less um, draftsmanship rigor and more theoretical rigor. So I think a good balance of that would be better. I think it's more skewed toward the academic side at the moment. And is there any sort of particular things? like our broader ambitions that you have in terms of what you'd like to convey or raise awareness on in the future, sort of parts of history you want to shine lights on? Um, and would you continue sort of wanting to make public appearances in order to sort of, sort of do this as well? Okay. My sort of my thinking is about leaving a legacy. So I think, yes, certainly the academic and the educational angle of my work is really important, you know, um, having opportunities to, talk about work, to produce work that engages people in conversation, to introduce people to things that can challenge their way of thinking, challenge how they think about art, you know, to critique the things that we have accepted as the norm, to question things and not just accept things. So I think it's more allowing for work, works of art, talks, 
or even books or literature that create avenues for people to critically engage with what they're presented, whether or not it's history or art or life in general. Yeah. Do you think that's something you'd produce, like a, a book yourself? Most certainly. Watch this space. <laughs> that sounds good. I'd want a signed copy. <laughs> Straight up. What's next for you? Have you got any shows coming up or are you just sort of focusing on your studies at the moment? So what's next? I'm actually in a show right now which closes on the 12th of December. It's a show called Untangling the Perils. It's on at the Hive is the Copper Project. That show is going on at the moment. As a result of that show, I've made quite a number of connections for other shows next year. Certainly there are some shows in the pipeline for next year. So um, a lot of work that I need to do in terms of painting and at the same time doing this MA. (laughs) So I usually finish up by asking what kind of advice would you give the class of 2021? So that's sort of any age group, particularly like students, I guess, and uh, further education being that most of our students are around 18, 19. Question everything and research. That's it. Just question everything and research. Thanks for listening to Artcast Season 2, Episode 6, and thanks so much to the wonderful Hannah Uzor for joining us today. All of us at Morley Chelsea would like to wish you the best as you continue on your illustrious creative journey. You can find out more about Hannah and see her work at hannahuzor.com. Our next episode will be with the pioneer of photo montage, Peter Kennard, who played a central part in providing protesting material for the anti-Vietnam War movement and the anti-nuclear war movements. We hope you can join us then. Looking for a place to study this summer? Morley College is one of London's leading education centres. We have something for everyone. There are courses for school leavers, adults wanting to upskill, retrain or to simply learn a new skill or interest. We're enrolling now at all our centres. Find out more at morleycollege.ac.uk forward slash enrolment, where London enjoys learning.